Welcome back to the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. I'm Ashley Miltite. Today on the show, can a company do well and do good at the same time? If you've opened up the business section or flipped on CNBC in the last few years, you've probably heard this phrase before, double bottom line. It's become a bit of a buzzword. Some people also say triple bottom line. Whatever you call it, let's break it down. Double and triple bottom line companies prioritize positive social and environmental impact alongside their profits. For them, doing good is just as important as doing well. It sounds great. Who can argue with helping the world while making money? But the more we heard that term, the more we started to wonder, do double bottom line businesses actually work? To answer that, we're going to talk to one of Silicon Valley's most prominent double bottom line investors. She'll explain how she looks for these unicorn startups that both disrupt entire industries and change the world for the better. But first, to see how this actually works on the ground, we decided to visit a company trying to embody positive values without making any financial compromises. So our producer headed to the south side of Chicago, zip code 60628. And they started hiring in this 60628 first. And I was one of the first ones who got a job. (laughs) That's Barbara Hardiman. She works at Method, a company that makes soap and household cleaners. You know those little plastic soap pouches, the ones that can be used to refill dispensers? Barbara runs the manufacturing line for those. Method opened their factory. They call it the Southside Soapbox in 2015. It's in a neighborhood that was once famous for being America's first planned industrial community. But now, as you drive to the factory, the place feels like a ghost town. It's all prairie grass and abandoned warehouses until the Method factory comes into view. It's a dramatic sight, this huge gleaming building, essentially brand new, decorated with brightly colored banners advertising the many scented soaps Method has to offer. There's a parking lot with big solar panels and one of Chicago's only windmills. And according to Barbara Hardiman, the factory has changed more in the community than just the landscape. She would know. She's lived on the South Side her entire life. Before Method came, it was dry land. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, people wasn't going to work. It was just a sad time. A whole lot of empty, vacant buildings and parking lots and stuff. But now, the houses across the street from me have been moved into. So it's, everything is better. And that, of course, was the whole idea. You know, one of the main reasons we built this factory is really to be part of a community and to give opportunity to people that maybe other organizations have decided don't deserve a second chance or even a first chance for a lot of people that we work with. That's Shannon McCann, the director of production operations at Method. He likes zip code 60628 because Method is able to create jobs and opportunities for local residents. They even offer employees three days of paid time off for volunteering. But that doesn't really explain why Method ended up on the south side of Chicago. The company could have made that sort of impact in just about any American city. 
And about the time we started doing this was about the same time that Detroit filed for bankruptcy. So there was a big push to try to make something work in Detroit where we would have the PR to say, look, we're going back to this city. We challenge everybody else to go back to the city. But because Chicago is such a centralized train hub for the entire country, it makes it much easier for us to move goods around being in Chicago versus Detroit. Chicago doesn't just have communities who need better jobs. They also have the nation's largest rail hub, which is helpful for a business that needs to ship products all over the country. Being in Chicago is also helpful to Method's goal to be environmentally sustainable. Their Midwest location allows for more efficient shipping routes. Method also set up their distribution center in the same building their manufacturing takes place, which minimizes the need for shipping. These green elements of the business are showing up in the financial bottom line. Method produces 4 million products a month, which is up double digits from last year. Their revenues are in the hundreds of millions. A lot of times a company that's dedicated to these social and environmental causes is kind of looked upon as not wanting to be profitable, but we want to be the most profitable company that ever existed. So we're still driven by the KPIs that you would see at any manufacturer making soap across the country, whether it's cost per unit or transportation costs or all of those things are still being driven by us. We feel that in including a social, environmental, economic purpose in your business actually improves your chances of financial success. That's Nancy Fund, founder and managing partner of DBL Partners in San Francisco. What does DBL stand for? I bet you can guess. We're a venture capital firm that invests for two bottom lines. The first is what everyone else does, which is to deliver top-tier returns, financial returns to our investors. The second is different. It's the social bottom line. We aim to deliver economic, environmental, and social progress in the regions and sectors in which we invest. Over the years, Nancy Fund has been an early investor in some of the world's biggest startups, Tesla, SolarCity, and Pandora, among others. Companies that began with nothing more than a big idea and ended up changing entire industries. But when Nancy was first setting up her fund, a lot of her fellow investors thought double bottom line investing was a pretty risky idea. In the early days of our firm, there was a considerable amount of skepticism about blending the goals of social purpose with strong financial return. Historically, these have been, people have separated. They've, they've given money to charity and then they've put money in their investment accounts and not very often had those two intersected. That intersection made people uneasy. Why fix a business model that isn't broken? Investors were already used to the idea of corporate social responsibility, like when huge companies have service days for their thousands of employees. That idea has been accepted in the mainstream since the 1960s. But that kind of corporate social responsibility doesn't have anything to do with profit. It's just an add-on. Investors were far less comfortable with startups that had social impact as an inextricable part of their business plans. A very traditional early opposition to double bottom line investing was that you really need to focus on business you need to focus on maximizing the return to your shareholders. And if you introduce any kind of purpose in your business that isn't that, it will create more risk and diminish your returns. And, and don't try to introduce a social agenda in that because it'll mess it up. 
But those impact agendas don't mess things up at all. Quite the opposite, actually. In an age where authenticity and transparency are over and over rated as important, an approach that infuses a business with with a more meaningful outcome and a, and a more important social purpose is going to create a business that is more popular and more competitively differentiated and allows a business to grow. It boils down to this. Not every double bottom line business works, but the ones that do have an incredible, potentially transformative mix of ingredients. They're addressing issues that people are passionate about. They create products that change the way people live. And at the same time, they don't make any financial compromises. A truly successful double bottom line company only adds benefits. When you do address broader social issues, say climate change, you are actually addressing A, a huge market, B, a market that people really care about more than just, you know, the the classic dog walking app that they can get on their iPhone. And three, you're you're disrupting what's been going on for 100 years. And that recipe of, of disruption and large markets and really developing products that matter is, is a recipe for outsized returns because you're really going beyond the financial to what people really care about. Take electric cars as an example. Nancy was an early investor in Tesla because she understood way before it was mainstream that people would want to decarbonize their transportation. She also felt Tesla had a business model that didn't involve any sacrifices. They were developing a beautifully designed high-tech vehicle and they were also helping the environment along the way. Nancy's priorities come in that order. In order to have impact, you have to have the first bottom line. You have to get that right first. That is, you have to develop a company that will grow and hire lots of people and develop a good return to its investors. Without that, you're not going to create much impact, are you? So uh, we start with the first bottom line, and then we, we work the second bottom line. Electric cars might be the most straightforward example of a double bottom line company, But a key differentiator of Nancy's fund is that she sees social and environmental impact where others don't. It's not just the obvious ones that are solving climate change. I mean, everyone knows a solar company is, is, a, is good for the planet. But we, we really do want to show that, it, you know, even if you work at a digital radio company or you work at a life science company or you work in retail, that you, you can build impact into your company's mission and into its competitive differentiation. That retail company Nancy's referring to? It's called The Real Real. It's a luxury clothing and accessories consignment website. And so you'd say, well, what's so impact about that? You're keeping products from going outside of the economy and keeping them uh, in circulation. And that has a lot to do with just reducing carbon, uh, reducing the amount of manufacturing that we need. It's a good thing to create that circular economy. Another aspect of impact from that company is it's a woman entrepreneur. It's no secret that women are underrepresented in the the ranks of venture-backed CEOs. We really try to focus on the diversity of our management teams and our founders, and we have about 60% of our portfolio right now is is run by women, which is way, way above the, the national average. 
The Real Real made sense in Nancy's portfolio because of its positive attributes. But sustainable investing didn't always work that way. It used to be based on uh, investors who really wanted to exclude negative things from their investment portfolios. Today, we're seeing a huge shift in investors who are thinking about it from a proactive perspective. How can I invest in the solutions? That's Hilary Irby, the co-head of Morgan Stanley's Global Sustainable Finance Group. She's been in the job for nearly a decade, and over that time, she's witnessed a pretty seismic shift in the field of sustainable investing. Hillary recently worked with a client who cares about climate change. Maybe a decade ago, they would have just divested from fossil fuels. But today, the client proactively invested in companies that are changing the way we use energy. What's prompting this change? It's all about information. People have a lot more clarity on the impacts their investments may have, whether that's positive or negative. And I think if you combine this with growing information that sustainable investing does not necessarily mean sacrificing financial return, you've got a good base on which to think about this as a practical approach to investment looking forward. Oh, and one more reason sustainable investing is on the rise? Millennials. A recent Morgan Stanley survey found that a whopping 90% of millennials want to invest in their 401ks in a sustainable way. Whether young people are discovering sustainable investing from an article they read online or a discussion they had on a college campus, they're bringing their parents into the conversation. There's some interesting cases where we've seen families come in to talk to our financial advisors about the topic of sustainable investing. And the parents have been, in these cases, often the reluctant followers. The great thing is that by having their children bring them to the conversation, they've actually brought their children into the conversation on investment. So we see sort of this education happening in two directions. And that basic education on investing best practices comes in handy. Hillary embraces all this new excitement about her field, but it's also her job to bring people down to earth and remind them sustainable investing isn't charity. Some people come in with very strong emotional goals that they want to achieve with their investment portfolio. And we have to caution people to take the emotion out of it. It's still investment, and you need to be rational and practical in in making sure that your investments are going to meet your financial goals. And even though Hillary got to the party nearly 10 years ago, she's glad we're finally joining her. I often say I have the best job on Wall Street because I get to think about how to use the leverage of the capital markets to have a positive impact on environmental and social issues that will make the world that my four-year-old daughter grows up in a better place. So to return to our original question, can a company do good and do well at the same time? The short answer is yes. Method is proving that in Chicago. But maybe a better question is, does doing good make it possible to have an even better business than you would have if you only cared about profits? Will that Nancy fund, who has invested in multiple billion-dollar startups, answer that one? Say you want to develop a great company that hires a lot of people and goes public on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. That's all well and good. But what if you could feed children better food or reduce the risk of climate change or build electric cars at the same time that you're accomplishing those financial goals? Then you'd really have a grand slam.
Thanks for listening to the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the research discussed in this podcast and listen to previous episodes, you can check out morganstanley.com ideas or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Till next time. 